Some of you were all tripped up because that was in a different version than you memorized as a child. <laughs> this is our last week that we're spending looking at the life uh, and the writings of King David. Uh, we spent quite a number of months looking at First, sec- first and Second Samuel over the last couple years. And then we're kind of wrapping up by looking at a few of his different psalms uh, that, that he has written. And today we're looking... At Psalm 23, which if David had a greatest hit, this would be it, wouldn't it? We're all pretty familiar with it probably. In fact, many of you probably have it memorized. But we have to ask the question, why is this psalm so beloved? In part, I think it's so beloved because this is a psalm that has been read and quoted at countless funerals. In fact, if we ask the question, why is this psalm so important to you and precious to you, you probably have the name of a loved one that this psalm was read at their funeral. But it's also read and quoted at times of of great distress and danger. And we have to ask, why? Why does this psalm bring so much comfort? And I think the answer is, is that to a large extent, this psalm is rehearsing hope, that it brings comfort to us, that it, that it lifts our spirits, that it gives us a sense of strength, because whenever we quote it, whenever we hear it, what we are doing is we are rehearsing the hope that we have in the Lord, in the Lord's protection, in the Lord's provision. When I think about this psalm, oftentimes I think about David rehearsing this hope throughout his life. Many scholars believe that this psalm was probably one of the first psalms that David crafted. And I imagine David, as he is watching over his flock as a shepherd himself, maybe at some point during that process of realizing, man, God is like a shepherd. In fact, God is my shepherd. I imagine David quoting this passage as he is preparing to battle against the giant Goliath. I imagine David quoting this passage as he was being chased by King Saul. I imagine David finding comfort and solace in this passage as he was hiding in caves like a criminal from the very people that he loved. Or as he was preparing for battle, as as his baby boy was in the process of dying. Or maybe as his family was falling apart. The truth of the matter is... All of us, all of us in this room, we need to rehearse hope. We need to repeat hope to our hearts over and over again. Because let's be honest, we're not good at it. We're not good at rehearsing hope and dependence on God. Because let's ask the question, what do we do in times of success? Like whenever life is going really well, what do we do? I think oftentimes we might might revel in good times. That we are actually more happy about the gift than we are for the giver. Or we're more thankful for the creation than the creator. It might be in times when things are going smooth in your life that rather than reveling, we, we simply boast and we take credit 
for our own accomplishments, praising our own strength, our own ingenuity, or our own work ethic. We forget, don't we, that everything we have, everything that's good comes from God. We simply take it for granted. Or what do we do in times of darkness, times of anxiety, times of depression? I think in those times, oftentimes, rather than taking the situation for granted, oftentimes we turn dark like the situations that we find ourselves in. We might ask questions like, why does God hate me? Why is God punishing me? Can God be good if I'm going through all this? Or we might say things like, I can't bear it, I can't handle it, I'm overwhelmed. We might even start getting into this idea and like a broken record talking about our own failures. As a people, we need to learn to rehearse hope. So that when times are good, we're rehearsing the hope that every good thing comes from God. And when times are dark, we're rehearsing the hope that we are not alone and that God is still in charge, even through this darkest valley. So as we look at Psalm 23, we can really break it down into three different parts. We can break it down into verses 1 through 3, where we need to rehearse God's provision Then we can break it down in verses 4 and 5 where we can rehearse God's protection. And then finally we'll wrap it up in verse 6 where we're talking about rehearsing the hope that we have in being with our Lord. The first thing we need to rehearse is we need to rehearse God's provision. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 again. And to be honest, guys, I've got a confession to make. I like the new version. I know I was, I was like putting my kids to bed last night and I was, I, was, I was quoting this verse to my youngest daughter in her bed and I'm like, man, can you say it with me? And she's like, yeah, but you're saying it all wrong, dad. And I'm like, all right, all right. I know, but I, I, I love the, the freshness of it, of, of how it makes me think about the passage in a little bit different light. But this is what verses one through three says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life and he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Why do we have hope, church? We have hope because the Lord is our shepherd. It is not uncommon in ancient times for kings to talk about themselves as being shepherds over their people. And whenever kings talked about themselves as the shepherd over people, they declared this from a position of power, of strength. They declared it from a seat of authority. But yet here is David, the author of this psalm, the greatest king of Israel, not describing himself as the shepherd, but rather describing God as his shepherd. Kings who use this imagery of themselves, many times they... They didn't know what it truly meant to be a shepherd, did they? They were born into the role. But King David, what do we know about him? We know that he was born into the role of a shepherd, not into the role of a king. In fact, whenever Samuel came to Jesse's family and he lined up all of Jesse's son and he was about to anoint one of them king and finally God said, yeah, 
the son who's going to be king isn't here. Samuel said, is there any other children here that you don't have here, Jesse? And he's like, yeah, I've got one son, David. He's the youngest, but he's, he's out with the sheep. David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He understood the proper care and management of the flock. He knew how desperate and dependent the sheep were towards their shepherd. And David knew that the Lord was his shepherd. That he too was desperate and dependent upon God. What brings me comfort is, is, is how the Lord is described here. It doesn't say that the Lord is a shepherd. It says that the Lord is my shepherd. Our God is a personal God who knows us. This is the God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And this God who is our shepherd is a shepherd who provides for his flock. Verse 2 and verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. One of the things that we have to do as a people is we have to acknowledge the Lord's provision in our lives. And this is hard to do oftentimes because we live our lives, many of us live our lives well provided for. And how is it that we can take experiences where we are well provided for, where we are safe and secure in a safe society, relatively safe society, with, with money in the bank, with a roof over our heads, with food in our fridge, with so much food like Goodness, we just finished Thanksgiving, right? And we can take all that provision and we can take all that safety, but yet somehow we can still live a life of fear. That we can take all that provision and still live in a life full of anxiety. And many of you know what I'm talking about. I love the passage in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, one of the lines in Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus shows us how to pray and he says, Give us today, give us this day our daily bread. And then later on the chapter, this is what he says about God's providing for his people. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. He continues on. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Oh, you of little faith. 
So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Jesus said that we need to ask for our daily bread. That we depend upon him for today and tomorrow we will depend upon him for that day. It is a daily task to depend upon the Lord. And he promises us that, that he'll provide for us. I think one of the things that that passage teaches us also of where our focus needs to be. Oftentimes we focus on the unknowns. Will I have enough? Will I be provided for? Will I be secure? And that's what our focus is on. But that passage in Matthew chapter 6, what does it tell us to put our focus on? The kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of of God, and all these things will be provided for you. We need to rehearse God's provision, trusting daily that He will provide what we need for today. And guys, we need this. We need this. Gosh, I'm, I'm, I feel like we're in um, like a baby explosion right now, like lots of babies being born in our church. My neighbor just had a baby, so it's, it's, like, it's like baby season uh, right now. And guys, if you're a mom, you realize like the, the desperate need of hope in being a mother, don't you? Those early days where, I don't know, it's, it's almost like torture, I, I, I kind of think like the U.S. government learned how to interrogate by watching their wives like struggle with their child, like the sleep deprivation and your, your, your body's off. It's like, let's just make them as uncomfortable as possible. But man, it's, it's hard, isn't it? And you add on top of that, and you now have this responsibility for this new life. And you add on top of it, like, especially with your first child, you're like, what do I do? Like, is this normal? Is this, is it normal? Do I take them to the doctor now? Is this an emergency or is this, the, the anxiety just rises up. And we rehearse fear and we rehearse anxiety. And here, David is saying we need to rehearse God's provision. We need to rehearse giving thanks. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, said, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. As a people, we need to remember that every good thing in our life comes from God, and we need to get good, we need to get seasoned, we need to get trained in spotting those things. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. What a perfect time to talk about the application of giving thanks. 
as I was looking at my family and at God's provision in my life, I started making a list in my own mind of things that I'm thankful for. I got to spend Thanksgiving with my parents. Thankful to have my parents. For the godly example that they have shown me, for raising me in the face, for, for helping me uh, get a good start in life. Thankful for my wife that God has given me. For the kids uh, that, man, I just have fun with. That they're a joy. Thankful for this church. Sometimes the elders and I will be sitting around talking. It's like, man, I wish we could like come up with a formula to like recreate this in other places as well. But at the end of the day, we recognize that it's not been anything we have done, but it's been the work of God in our midst. And we're thankful for it. I oftentimes tell people I've been in ministry for over 20 years now, and I've never had as much fun as I'm having now with, with this body of Christ. I think one of the reasons we are ungrateful, one of the reasons that we struggle so much in giving thanks is because we don't have the eyes to see the gifts that God has given us. So let us pray to God that he would open our eyes to see all that he has done. So this, this is your challenge. All right, this is your challenge. I want you today, either on your own, with a friend, with your family, to come up with 10 categories. You say, why 10? It's because it's a nice even number, and I like even numbers. If I'm adjusting the radio volume, it always have to be on a multiple of five. You people that set it on like 27 volume, it's like, what's wrong with you? Go to 30, go to 25. It's round number. Come up with 10 categories in your life that you can be thankful for. And this is what I want you to do. It's easy to come up with the big categories. 10 might be hard, but the big categories, it's like, all right. But then what I want you to do is see how many things you can put underneath those categories. Try and put five things underneath every category. You're thankful for your spouse. <clears throat> what are five ways that you're thankful for your spouse? You're thankful for your church. What are five ways you're thankful for your church? You're thankful for your parents, your job. What are five ways you're thankful for your parents or your job? And let's, let's do a little multiplication. Like I got 10 categories and we're saying five things about each category. Because what we need to do is, guys, we just got to get practice. And we have to make sure that as we are giving thanks to God for what he has done, what we have to do is make sure that we are giving God the praise for what he has done. Because it's one thing that I can say, well, I'm thankful for my wife. But it's another thing where I'm thankful for God for giving me my wife. Because Lord knows I didn't do it on my own, right? So make sure you're directing that thanks to God. Why? Because we need to rehearse the truth of the goodness of God. But we also need to rehearse God's protection. We see this in verses 4 through 5. It says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Notice what David says, even when I go through the darkest valley. Not even if I go, but when I go. There is an acknowledgement that the dark valleys that the shepherd is leading the sheep through is going to happen. And we know that in our lives that it's not always going to be smooth sailing, but we're going to go through times and seasons of difficulty and darkness in our lives. There's a classic work called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. Has anyone ever heard of that book or or read it? It's, It's a fun book. But one of the things that he describes in this book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23, is he described that shepherds would oftentimes have to move their flocks from from one field to another uh, to get to fresh grass, to new fields, for for their own protection and provision. And the way that they'd oftentimes have to get them from one field to another in this rocky, mountainous terrain of, of, of Israel is they would follow the valleys. And the valleys would be the easiest way to get to these other fields and the safest way. But it also described these valleys as places of, of, of danger. Because it was in these valleys and these, these, these mountainous rocks and caves where lions and bears would oftentimes live. It was their habitat. It was oftentimes in these valleys that these flash floods or these, these unexpected storms would hit and bring danger to the sheep. But the shepherd knew that if he was going to take care of the sheep, if he was going to provide for the sheep, that one of the things that he had to do was take them through that valley. And the same is true with our own lives. When God looks at your life, he knows exactly what he wants you to be. He knows exactly what he wants you to look like. And I can tell you, he wants you to look like his son. You already have his righteousness through his work on the cross, but he wants to see you grow in your personal holiness in this life. And he also knows that the way that he gets you from where you are to where he wants you to be, that you have to go through these dark valleys these difficult paths and lives. But one of the things I'm comforted by in this text is the personal pronouns. Notice in verses 1 and 2 and 3, he talks about the Lord. He is my shepherd. He lets me. It's that third person pronoun. But when we get into, and I really hope my grammar is correct here because we've got like English teachers in the room. But then whenever we go, they'll correct me after the service. I'm wrong if I'm wrong. But when we go in verses 4 and 5 of going through the darkest valley, what he says is, you are with me. That the presence of God is just all that more real and more that intense as he is going through that darkest valley. And it's also important to remember that verses 1 and 2 are still true even when we're going through verses four and five. That even when we are going through the darkest valley, even as we are going through the hardest times in our life, that we still have the God who provides. 
who gives us what we need. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive, but they go together. And he says, as he is going through these darkest valleys, he says, I will fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will fear no danger. And one of the greatest problems of our society today is just this idea of our fear and our anxiety of the future. And he's saying, because the Lord is with me, I will not fear. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff was the shepherd's weapon. If you remember David, whenever David was in front of King Saul, um, basically asking, let me go fight the giant Goliath. Y'all remember the story? Um, David walks up to Saul, the king. Everyone's afraid. I mean, there's fear in the camp because of this giant Goliath. And David says, I'll, I'll go. Like, I'll, I'll fight the giant. And Saul looks at David and says, I imagine he uses the word like son. It's like, you don't know what you want to do here. Like this giant has been a warrior since his youth. And you, like you're still a youth. Like you're still a child. And Daniel answered King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He said, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, it's a great insult, by the way, uncircumcised Philistine, will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. What we see here is a picture of the comfort of the rod and staff. That when a bear or a lion came and attacked David's flock, what did David do? He didn't say, well, I lost one. Good thing I got some more sheep over here. But he went after the one who was in mortal danger. And he took his rod and his, took his staff and he attacked the bear. He attacked the lion. Why? Because the precious lamb, the precious sheep that was in danger. David understood the rod and the staff. And when he looked at himself going through these darkest valleys, he knew that he was secure. Why? Because the Lord was his shepherd, protecting him as he went away and went on his way. We are secured in the protection of our God. But it's not just that we're secure in the protection of our God, but it's also this idea that, that we're victorious in the protection of our God. Look at what it says in verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. When is it that a table is prepared with your enemies? Like if you're still in the fight, that's not a comforting thing. Like some of you probably have been at meals 
where it's contentious and it's hard and it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. But here David is talking about this table that's prepared before him in the presence of his enemies like it's a good thing. And do you know when that happens? That happens when there's victory. And the victorious king has defeated his enemies and the enemies are brought before the tables almost as trophies of war. Why? Because the battle has been fought. The battle has been won. And so you can rest secure at the table. That's the picture that David is describing. We can be assured that we might be going through a dark valley that we might be going through a difficult time in our life, but as we look to God as our protector, one of the things that we know is that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. God has set the table. It was God who won the victory. And we see that in what David said to King Saul. David went out and he fought the bear. He went out and fought the lion. But ultimately, what did he say? Ultimately, he said, it was the Lord who rescued me. Guys, you will get through whatever dark valley you're going through right now. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when you come through the other side of this time, we need to lift up our voice and say, it was the Lord who rescued me. Rehearsing hope of the provision of God, rehearsing hope of the protection of God. And then in verse six, we have, this, we have this rehearsing our hope of our future. What does he say? He says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Here, David is pointing to his ultimate hope that he would dwell with God, that God is his goal in his life. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Not one will be snatched out of my hand. In John chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus talking about how he's the bread of life and that to have eternal life, you have to eat his body, drink his blood. It was a difficult passage. I mean, what what we're talking about in John chapter 6 is is this idea of communion. But people started taking Jesus literally and said, ooh, man, this is hard. And so what do they do? Many of the people who had been following Jesus at that point in John chapter 6, they turned and they walked away. Jesus then turned to his disciples and he says, what are you guys going to do? Are you you too going to to leave? And the disciples looked at Jesus 
And they said, Lord, where would we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Because we have to rehearse hope. We have to rehearse the hope that God is our protection, that he is our provision, that ultimately he is the goal of our life. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. He is what we are pursuing in this life. If you are a soldier, he will show you how to soldier. If you are a teacher, he will show you how to teach. If you are a parent, he will show you how to parent. He will show you the ways of life. But we have to hear his voice and be shepherded by him. I'd like to offer a challenge for for the rest of the year. This is my challenge for the rest of the year. I said at the beginning of the sermon that many of you probably have this memorized. Um, I might be mistaken in that. I very well might be mistaken in that. And very well might be that many of us don't know this passage, that we haven't committed it to heart. And this is what I'd recommend between now and the end of the year, which now is just about a month. Why don't we work at memorizing this chapter? Why don't we work at rehearsing the hope that we have in our God and Savior? What I'd recommend if, if you have a time where you sit down to dinner with family or friends in the church, that you read it uh, at the dinner table before you eat. Well, when you wake up in the morning, you review it and you let this psalm be your morning prayer that as you lay in bed before you fall asleep let this be your evening meditation let it guide your thanks that it reminds you that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift where it reminds you that we're depending on God for his protection and care let it remind us that the Lord and his kingdom is our ultimate hope. Let's stand and pray.